Hello, and welcome to another episode of What Sports. This is your host, Mike Jones, here with you today, and today's episode is going to be When Sports Returns. Man, it has been far too long that we have been going without any sports in our lives, and I don't know about you, but it's, it's affecting my psyche a little bit. But have no fear, sports is returning, including the two leagues that got suspended mid-action. For me personally, as a Nuggets and an Avs fan, I am extremely excited for that because these are two teams that were right in the thick of things as far as the playoffs go. And in my mind, the Avs in particular have a real shot of winning that Stanley Cup this year. But alas, I'm going to start off talking about the NBA. They were the, they were among the, the first to come out with a real plan. Their plan really is all centralized around everybody coming together at Disney World, where dreams come true, hopefully Nuggets fans, at the wide world of sports complex. 22 teams in total are going to be returning to play, and these 22 teams, how they chose them is, if you're in within six games of a playoff spot, you get an invitation. They decided that that it was kind of the dividing point of whether or not you were a legitimate playoff contender or if you were just playing the season. So six within six games. Now, because of that, it's not equal between the East and the West. In the Eastern Conference, only nine teams are returning to action. The Washington Wizards were the only team that were outside of current playoffs positioning to Get an invite to Orlando in the East. Uh, they were five and a half games back of the Orlando Magic. So they barely snuck in there themselves. In the West, it's a little more wide open. 13 teams made it, including the Phoenix Suns, which were 13th in the Western Conference. But they were six games back of the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, the Memphis Grizzlies have a three-and-a-half game lead up on three teams and a four-game lead up on the Spurs. The three teams have a three-and-a-half game lead up on the Blazers, the Pelicans, the Kings. The Pelicans in particular are going to be an interesting team to watch in my book just because of how young they were and having Zion potentially being able to play with no minutes restrictions coming into Orlando. There was a lot of uh, talk about the expanding the playoff format was really just to get the Pelicans in because Zion is such a draw and such a such a um, ratings boost, really, with his presence. He's the biggest star since LeBron James. I mean, and LeBron James is still playing. They uh, allowed for less player money lost by twin lost 25% versus 40% also by expanding the playoff format to include all 22 of these teams instead of just cutting it down to the eight teams from each conference that are currently in a playoff spot uh, at the beginning of this they will be using three different sites at Disney World uh, and There'll be four, five to six games a day for the reg, 
quote-unquote regular season and four hours between the games to allow to sanitize the area because, you know, we need to be as clean as humanly possible. Obviously, there are going to be no fans there. All the teams are going to have to stay within a bubble. That, that's that been a huge thing really across all sports is talking about bubble cities. And Orlando is going to be that bubble, that hub. Uh, even though the Orlando Magic are, you know, centralized and their home is Orlando, they are going to have to stay within the bubble as well. They don't get to go home. They don't get that home court advantage that would be unlike any home court advantage we've ever seen before, honestly, because this is a very unique situation here, having everybody come together in one city to finish out the regular season, play the playoffs. It's going to be an action-packed few weeks if this gets off. Now, when I go through all these, none of these scenarios are guaranteed still. Uh, because if there is a uptick in virus cases, I guess, and the pandemic kind of gets back in a full swing, I'm willing to bet that these games are going to get canceled, which is a huge bummer to me. And I think really, in the grand scheme of things, can be sort of a detriment to the psyche of um, of Americans as a whole. But... I digress from that. So, there will be the regular season. Specifically for the Nuggets, I'll go through it real quick. On August 1st, they will be playing the Miami Heat. On the 3rd, OKC. On the 5th, they'll play the Spurs. On the 6th, the Trailblazers. On the 8th, the Jazz. On the 10th, the Lakers. On the 12th, the Clippers. And on the 14th, the Toronto Raptors. At first blush, I looked at it, I was like, wow. What a gauntlet to get through to try to make it into the, you know, try to increase our standings and get us in the best possible position for the playoffs that would be taking place. And then I kind of had to remind myself that this is the cream of the crop. This is, these are the best teams. There's... There really wasn't going to be any cupcake on anybody's schedule when you're looking at it. So with that in mind, it's, you know, I accept it. Having to play both L.A. teams, though, that seems a little harsh to me. Couldn't we have had the Kings thrown in there or the Suns instead? You know, something, uh, something maybe a little less challenging. Something that we probably won't end up having to face when it comes to the playoffs. We will see. Um, at the end of the regular season, though, if the 8th and ninth seed are within four games of each other. So, if the ninth seed is within four games of being able to catch that 8th seed, they will have a play-in round. It's going to be a two-game series. I know, two games first thing that comes to my mind is what if they split? Well, if the 8th seed only needs to win one of these games to advance. So if they win the first game of this of the two game series, it's over. The ninth seed has to sweep them in this scenario. So 
going back to the Western Conference. The Memphis Grizzlies obviously have a sizable lead right now for the eighth seed. But if any team ends up within four games of them, there will be a two-game series. Now, with this, though, there is probably going to be ties. In the event of ties, it comes down to winning percentage. Because obviously not every team is going to end up with the same amount of games after the regular season. So it's not going to come down to wins. It's going to come down to winning percentage. And it's going to be combined between the regular the regular regular season and this faux, I guess, regular season that's going to be taking place in Orlando. So right now the Portland Trailblazers would have that tiebreaker just because they have a higher winning percentage over the Pelicans and the Kings from the regular season. So the best chance is for the Trailblazers to play it, which, I mean, the Trailblazers made it to the Western Conference Finals last year. They were plagued by some injuries. Coming back, in in a future episode, we'll dive more into the returning to play and how this is going to benefit certain teams. And one of the teams that's really going to help out is the Trailblazers because of all the pieces they're going to be getting back here, uh, including Nurkic, one of um, one of Denver's least favorite players on the uh, Trailblazers. But I digress once again. Uh, also, in a statement, the NBA is moving away from a one-case equals shutdown. They are understanding that there will be cases. There, there will be positive tests. And one positive test does not mean to mean that the entire format, the entire rest of the season needs to be canceled. And this is obviously in contrast to what happened initially. Granted, it ended up being a lot more than one case. But really, when you look back at it, it was Rudy Gobert. Once that test came back positive, everything was getting shut down. And they're they're moving away from that for this. I think that is a good move because it we're guaranteed to have cases. And when you look at it, Jokic has actually already tested positive. Our own Nikola Jokic tested positive back in Serbia. Uh, he's asymptomatic, though. Uh, he will be returning here. It's just a little delayed. He should be good to go when and I guess if the playoffs get started here. There will be daily testing within the bubble. And this is something that's pretty much going to be mandatory regardless of the league is testing because you want they want to stay ahead of it. They want to know, you know, know what the real numbers are and be able to try to contain any sort of outbreak from happening. With this and with the heightened risks inherently involved in doing this, uh, they are going. players are not forced to participate. Uh, there are some big names that are contemplating whether or not they want to participate. Initially, Damian Lillard was among one of them. It kind of seems that he has backed off that stance as of late. Uh, the Lakers 
there's several Lakers players who are saying that they may not want to participate. And as a response, they ended up signing J.R. Smith from reports. And then, of course, there's players such as like Boogie Cousins, who's currently available. But there are talks that he may not even want to participate in this. There's a lot of moving pieces still going on in the NBA. And since this doesn't start until July 31st, they still got 30 days to hammer this all out. I'm sure we will be hearing a lot more about it in the news, about who's going to play, who's not going to play, and really what the rosters are going to end up looking like. As far as the Nuggets go, they ended up adding P.J. Dozier to their full-time roster. He's no longer a two-way player. This was a good move as far as depth goes. Because you're going to, there's going to be injuries or what have you happen in there. And you're definitely going to need that depth. A player that I have my eye on, though, is... I haven't seen anything about him, but I'm curious about Bol Bol. With this extended um, midseason break, I guess you could call it, what is his status? Because he, when he was playing in the G League, he was dominant. And with the potential of going forward next season, potentially not being able to have Millsap, not being able to have Grant, I assume we're going to be able to re-sign one of those guys back. But there is going to be available minutes inside. And I personally am a huge fan of seeing what Bobol and Jokic could potentially do together. And maybe, maybe we could see a touch of that come Orlando time. And if nothing else, just having him there so he can practice with the team, so he can get into, so he can build that chemistry with Jokic, with Murray, with all the guys who presumably he's going to be playing ball with next season, would be huge, in my opinion. As far as the duration of the season, Game 7 of the Finals will be no later than October 12th. And the league will be looking aggressively at moving up series during playoffs. They want to get this done ASAP because they have next season they want to get started. Generally speaking, we're only we're only a couple months away from the start of the 2020-2021 season if everything was going on schedule. But obviously, with games not finishing until October. We are not going to get an on-time start to the next season. A uh, couple things that are moved around have been set more or less. The draft was moved to October 15th, and free agency will start October 18th. Obviously, getting that all set up and going to happen after the finals. One of the interesting things the NBA is considering in a fan-free game atmosphere is using crowd noise from NBA 2K, which is very amusing to me. Obviously, you know, you need noise there. If, if you're a player, or even if you're watching on TV, 
watching an event that is usually deafening loud if you're in the stadium. Or even if you're watching, the crowd is always noticeable. The chants are noticeable when you're watching games. So to watch it in just silence would be a weird experience. Not to mention how much more the mics from the TV crews would pick up, um, including things that the league commissioner may not want to have picked up, uh, that may not, you know, be family-friendly, if you will. So piping in crowd noise from 2K would be an interesting route. I hope they do something. 2K might be a little cheesy, but it, right now, in my mind, I can't think of a better option than that because I don't want to see these games played in silence, honestly. Moving on to the NHL, there are going to be 24 teams returning in the NHL format, a even 12 from each conference. And this will be played in two hub cities. Now, the official hub cities have but it's it came out today that the NHL is leaning towards using Edmonton and Toronto. And this is this comes from Bleacher Report, and they had Edmonton as the host for the Western Conference and Toronto as the host for the Eastern or sorry, vice versa. They had Edmonton as host for the Western Conference and or Eastern Conference and Toronto as host for the Western Conference, which seems a little backwards to me. But we'll see how that comes out when official word is released. I'm assuming in the next day or two. But it was narrowed down to six cities. Chicago, Edmonton, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, Toronto, and Vancouver. And of those, Vegas has been considered the U.S. favorite. But again, it's looking like we're going to have an all-Canada playoffs as far as hub cities. The top four from each conference will play a round-robin for seeding. Ties resolved by point percentage. So, top four from each conference, that obviously is going to include your Colorado Avalanche. Now, this, kind of like I mentioned with the Trailblazers before, this break could potentially have helped the Colorado Avalanche more than any other team in the NHL. Because this, as good of a season as they were having, the Colorado Avalanche were riddled by injuries basically from the get-go. And having this break, coming back more or less completely healthy now, or at least they should be, is going to be huge. I had no doubt in my mind if the season was allowed to finish on schedule, the Colorado Avalanche were going to be the number one seed in the West. With playing this round robin, I still am highly confident that the the St. Louis Blues are the only team technically ahead of them as far as point percentage goes. But the team I'm, I'm actually more concerned of, I guess, would be the series with the Dallas Stars this season and lost all four games. They went 0-4 against the Dallas Stars, which should not happen. The, the Dabs are just a better team than the, color, than the Dallas Stars. 
but in whole from the Western Conference, those top four teams are the St. Louis Blues, Colorado Avalanche, Vegas Golden Knights, and the Dallas Stars. In the Eastern Conference, you've got the Boston Bruins, the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Washington Capitals, and the Philadelphia Flyers. Now, the Boston Bruins are the best team out of that bunch, and I would expect them to be able to capture that top seed. But you look at a team like Tampa Bay or Washington, a little more veteran team, definitely more experienced teams, this break could be exactly what they needed to be able to capture that number one seed. The remaining eight teams from each conference will play a qualifying round, best of five series. And the rest of playoffs will be the best of seven series. Another interesting fact when you're talking about the NHL return is for this playoffs, after every round, the seeding will be redone. It will be reseeded. So if you're one you're not going to automatically play the winner of the 4-5 game if you win your round. You're going to be playing the lowest-seeded team regardless. So if you're the one, you could end up playing the seventh-seeded team in the next round. Because the seventh-seeded team wins, they will be the lowest-seeded team remaining. And so on and so forth. Like I said before, between, I'm obviously I'm excited for the Nuggets to return to play. I think the Nuggets are a really good team. I think they have a shot at winning the championship. But I would not bet on them necessarily to win the championship because of those LA teams. But when you're talking about the NHL, I honestly believe the Avs should be the favorite out of the Western Conference. If it comes down to an Avs-Bruins finals... That is going to be one hell of a series for the Stanley Cup Finals. One hell of a series. And the Avs have as good a shot of winning that as anybody else in the league. Man, I'm excited for NHL to return. Because I think Gabe and Nate and Miko can be hosting that Stanley Cup come the end of it. Moving on to Major League Baseball. Now, Major League Baseball was a very frustrating sport. It was the last of these three sports to come to an agreement. Yet, they had an agreement already in place in March. But the owners backed out on it. Uh, The owners basically said, we agreed to this with the idea that there would be fans in the stands. Which seems kind of ludicrous because even back in March, the idea that there would be fans in the stands at any of these sporting events is was kind of ridiculous. It, it's basically been a foregone conclusion that if games were to resume to play, they would be in empty arenas, in empty stadiums. So... Really shady as far as I'm concerned, as far as how the owners approach this. The owners used this pandemic to strong arm 
the players into what they want. From reports, the owners and the player association went back and forth with offers. The owners would do an offer, the players would do a counteroffer. And from these reports, every time the owners counteroffered, it was the exact same thing. There was no budge on the side of the owners. So really, to call it a negotiation is a complete farce. Because in a negotiation, two sides come together and try to meet and come to a common solution that both sides can be happy with. The owners had no interest in doing that. And really, that's just going to hurt them in the long run. Because you guess what happens after this season? The CBA is going to happen. They're going to have to negotiate a new CBA before next season. And you think all these, all this tension and all this animosity that was built up during these quote-unquote negotiations is going to go away by the time next season happens? No, it is not. So, not only was this season in jeopardy of not happening, because, he's no, because of these negotiations, next season could very well be in jeopardy of not happening. So the perception that owners used the pandemic to force a player's hand. The owners were claiming that they were going to go broke. And they're, they're, the teams were going to go bankrupt. Because fans weren't going to be at games. Which, as I heard one person say, um, then you're just bad with your money. Because if you own a pro sports franchise... You should not be losing money. One, to own the franchise, you probably already have a hefty source of income from someplace else. And two, even if players or fans aren't at games, you have a ton of other avenues that you are getting revenue from. TV deals, which they just negotiated a huge TV deal. With Turner Sports. Huge one. Yet they claim they're going broke. And they would not su- they would not supply any documentation to prove that they were what they were saying. Which is kind of, you know, tells you two things. One, they're lying. Or two, it does it, it proves that they were going broke and shows that they're just very poor. With their money. that they poor at handling it. This was a huge... This all was a huge black eye, in my opinion, on the owners. And really, kind of put the entire league in a bad light. And this is a league that's already, you know... I don't want to use the word struggling because it's still extremely popular. But when you're talking about uh, arms race, if you will, for fandom in the United States, the baseball is falling behind. I mean, obviously, NFL is king. NBA is trying to close that gap. But when you're talking about that that third league, I mean, Major League Baseball probably still has an advantage over the NHL, but they're 
that, that gap's closing is because of things like this. Because of this squabble. But moving on. Salaries for the players are going to be fully prorated. So they're going to be coming together. They're going to be playing a 60-game schedule, which means more or less they're going to be getting paid about a third of their salaries. Seems somewhat fair. But the players wanted more games. And this was twofold from reports. One, obviously, you know, more games if it's a prorated salary means more money for them. Also, baseball players just genuinely love their sport. They want to be playing it. They'd be playing it for free, probably. Doing beer league or whatever if they weren't professionals. And they just want to get out there and play. So, an interesting thought in my mind with all this was how this delay has affected the perception of the Astros. Because obviously before the season got going, you're talking about the huge storyline throughout the entire offseason was the huge cheating scandal with the Houston Astros. Whether or not they should have gotten their World Series rings taken away. Whether that banner should have been pulled down for the Astros. Whether or not Astros players, when they go up to bat, how often were they going to get beamed by pitchers? Now, with this pandemic, with these negotiations, again, in quotations, with the doubt looming over whether or not there was going to be a season, I can't help but think that this had to have helped the Astros. That chain scandal not forgotten, but it's farther in the rearview mirror now once this season gets started. There are other more pressing issues. Instead of the cheating scandal being front page news every day leading into the season, in MLB World, front page news was whether or not we were going to have a season for the past three months. So... I don't know. Astros players might not, you know, be coming out looking too, looking as bad once this is all said and done and the season actually gets going. Now, there will be some changes and some things are going to stay the same. Obviously, opening day, that's a change. So on beyond July 24th. Length of the season changed. Like I said, it's going to be a 60-game season. With it being a 60-game season, there are going to be 40 divisional games and 20 geographic interleague games. Geographic interleague games. What does that mean? Well, specifically for the Rockies, they'll be playing the AL West. So the NL West will play the AL West. The NL East will play the AL East. And, you know, Central play Central. 
which means possibly one of the most stacked divisions in all of baseball is who the Rockies are going to have to play. The Houston Astros, which, you know, now that they're not stealing signs, we'll see. Maybe they're not nearly as good. The Oakland A's, who have been kind of a, a Cinderella sort of team in the American League. One of those teams that kind of should give the Rockies hopes that the a team that doesn't necessarily have a huge salary, but have a great collection of players. Texas Rangers, they're there. Um, then they have some talent. Now the Los Angeles Angels obviously made some big acquisitions, namely Anthony Rendon. Uh, they're going to have Otani back in their rotation. Obviously, there's Trout there. Uh, the The Angels are going to be a good team. And then there's the Seattle Mariners, who, uh, yeah, they're, they're not very good, to be honest. But still, a pretty stacked uh, pretty stacked division that the Rockies are going to have to go against. And with 20 games against them, I'm assuming it's going to roll out uh, four-game series against each one. Uh, maybe it'll be a two-and-two, two-home, two two-away kind of split that series but four it will have to be four games against each team now 60 divisional games with four other teams in the division you're going to have 15 games against the Dodgers 15 against the Diamondbacks and so on and so forth how they're going to split that up will be interesting uh, with 15, you could have three or five three-game series, or maybe you'll have three four-game series and one three-game series. Depends on how doing it that way, obviously, will make it a little closer as far as home and away splits. Probably the way they will go with that, in my, I would assume. The playoff format will remain unchanged. But a couple of changes that will happen is there will be a universal DH now in Major League Baseball. I am not a fan of the designated hitter. I, I, I don't like it. But I will say I, am, I do like that Major League Baseball is going to a universal set of rules. More, more than I hate the designated hitter, I hate having two sets of rules for the same league. Having the American League play with a designated hitter, National League playing without, just never made sense to me. Obviously, I would much prefer that we just did away with a designated hitter altogether and actually have pitchers be ball players. And some of the most ex- in, in my Oh, so humble opinion. Some of the most exciting at-bats can be those pitcher at-bats because when they get that hit, it is so exciting. One of the first games I went to was a John Gray baseball game. I think it might have even been his very first start. And he hit a home run in that game. There wasn't a more exciting at-bat in the entire baseball game, then John Gray going up there and hitting a home run. 
And to take that away from that, and to take away, you know, the special specialness of a pitcher like a, you know, Mad Bum, always been a good hitter for uh, for a pitcher. But to take that away, uh, that skill set that kind of separates some pitchers over other pitchers, is just distasteful to me. Uh, another change that will be adopted just for this season as kind of a trial run, I guess, will be at the start of extra innings, there will be a runner on second base. We're going to have runner on second base to start extras. Obviously, this is an effort to shorten games. To not have these 16 inning long baseball games, especially in a shortened season when games are going to be packed in a lot more tightly. So it, it makes sense for this season. It is a rule I hope that does not get adopted permanently. Because uh, some of the most exciting baseball, again, in my oh so humble opinion, is when games go into those extra innings, when you have that 16-inning game, just the intensity of it, where any move could, any swing of the bat, could be the game-winning swing. When every pitch has such intensity attached to it. Now, they have been experimenting with this in the minors. Uh, 70% of games have ended after one extra inning with this rule in place, compared to just 45% of games the last two seasons. So, the numbers do support that this will result in shortened games, which, in a shortened season, is a good thing. Now, with with the shortened season... Will this mean shortened rotations? Because generally speaking, obviously, you have a five-man rotation. But with the shortened season, when you're not going to have guys go out there necessarily or trying to pitch 20 games, now, you know, if you go down to just four, say you, you shorten your rotation just four guys, that's 15 games apiece. That's not that large of a number. Obviously, games will be a little closer together, so that's a concern. But being able to roll out there your top-level talent on a more regular basis as opposed to the fifth guy in your rotation who, for a lot of teams, is somebody who may not necessarily even be a major league starting pitcher. (laughs) as far as the caliber of their stuff goes. So, shortening the rotation would provide for more quality baseball out there. And it's actually a lot more feasible with a shortened season. With a shortened season, thinking specifically about the Rockies, I am kind of curious to see how this affects the relationship and the storyline with Nolan Arenado. Obviously, outside of the Astros, the biggest uh, 
big storyline, at least in Colorado, was Nolan Arenado and the Rockies and whether or not this was a relationship that could be salvaged. I still don't necessarily can be, think it can be salvaged as long as <clears throat> Breidich is uh, still the GM. But with a shortened season, potential, you know, potentially that helps out the Rockies, depending on who you listen to. I think it does kind of help out the Rockies in one sense, because a shortened season uh, should mean that actual skill position players can have a greater impact on the season. And obviously the strength of the Rockies this year and pretty much every year that they've ever played has been their skill positions over their rotation. Hopefully, of course, this is a bounce back year for uh, fellas like Marquez and Freeland. And if you can get Marquez, Freeland, Gray pitching at the top of their game, this is a dangerous, this can be a dangerous rotation and a dangerous team. But I just want to see Nolan be made happy as a Rocky so he can stick around. I mean, I feel like that's what all Rockies fans want. So I'm just curious how a short season is going to affect that, if at all. Uh, on some, I guess, downer news, three Rockies have tested positive for a coronavirus. I believe two of them were asymptomatic, so that's something to keep an eye on. And Ian Desmond, among the first players to come out and say, that he will be sitting out this season. Uh, amid a lot of things, not just the coronavirus, but also social justice concerns, uh, he found it more important to stay home and be a father to his children in these trying times. And I, I can't blame him for that. Anytime somebody's putting family first, I, I can't get upset with him for that. But that kind of wraps up the return to sports. The NBA, or the NFL, excuse me. Um, not really any news to say about that, just because they haven't really been affected yet. Nothing's overly gone on besides free agency and draft, which, for the most part, went off without any real adjustments and any real hindrance, uh, besides not being able to do physicals for free agency. And even that, you know, as of yesterday, or did not hinder Cam Newton from getting signed amid his injury concerns, getting signed up in New England, which conversation for another episode because I'm not sure how well that's going to work out for them. I don't have the highest of hopes, but I'm not a huge Cam Newton fan. So, before I sign off here, I want to uh, want to leave you with a little something, a little, little bit of pick-me-up, I guess. There was a video that I saw of HaHa ha Clinton Dix uh, riding his scooter and almost running straight into a mama bear and their cub. Like, wow. That, um... 
especially when you're not necessarily expecting that sort of thing. Like, I've come up close to my share of wildlife, including bears. And But it's always been in an environment where you expect to see such a thing. And, you know, not that... Not that he was, you know, in the middle of downtown New York or anything like that, but he was not someplace where you expect to run into wildlife on a regular basis, especially not bears. So uh, he hopped off his scooter and he booked it the opposite direction, which, you know, probably the right move, especially since there was a cub involved. You never want to mess with a mama bear with their cub nearby. That's... You know, where you get the saying from, you know, don't mess with mama bear. But everything worked out. Everybody was safe. It was just a, it was an amusing video to watch. And I encourage you all to look it up if you haven't already seen it. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of What Sports. This is your host, Mike Jones. Give me a follow. Give me a rating. Recommend me to your friends. And I'll talk to you next time.